0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are...
1: Mister Hardware.
0: Jeff Kannada. And joining us today, he is a senior reporter for Waypoint, a video game website that does not shy away from strong advocacy for various positions, Patrick Klepek. Patrick, welcome to the Slash Filmcast. How are you doing this evening? This is weirding me out. Um, my wife is going to have a meltdown when she
2: realizes I'm on a <laughs> podcast with David Chen. Oh, wow. Um, and the fact that I'm doing this right now... She's going to be so deeply embarrassed when she starts listening to this, and it is it is glorious. This is a this is a high point for me.
0: Well, uh, I have actually admired Patrick's work from way back when he was actually uh, working at One Up, and he was a frequent guest on the podcast One Up Yours, which was hosted by Garnett Lee. And uh, that podcast was a, a big inspiration for the Slash Filmcast. So now that Patrick is on the Slash Filmcast, the snake has finally eaten itself. <laughs> and we can shut this whole thing down. Um <laughs> well, thanks but, for having me. Yeah, but it's it's a delight to have you. And of course, uh, you can check out Patrick's work at waypoint.vice.com. We're delighted to have him on today on the podcast. We're gonna talk about a few things. We got some what I've been watching for you. We also have an in-depth review later of Dr. Sleep, the new Stephen King slash Mike Flanagan slash Shining Sequel uh, movie. It's it's kind of a movie that has to serve three purposes. It has to be a sequel to both Stephen King's book, Stanley Kubrick's film, and also an adaptation of the novel Dr. Sleep. So it has a lot <laughs> to live up to, and we will find out how well it did that later on well, here.
3: Dave, Dave yep. uh, speaking of a lot to live up to, uh, are we going to just gloss right over the fact that Patrick's wife
0: is a Chen head. <laughs> Chen heads. I think they're called Chenophiles. Actually, is files Ew, I yeah. don't
2: know. I, I, think, <laughs> I feel like you want to rework that one.
0: <laughs> there, or Chen files with the pH? I think is what I've, I've I heard. I think that's.
2: I think that's more. Accessible.
0: Yeah, Chinsky it's Fansky. Yeah, what are yeah. Them? <laughs> She yeah. um
2: has uh, has been obsessed for years over both. You do both the Westworld and Game of Thrones uh, podcast, right? Correct. Um, Correct. And She's listened to those obsessively alongside watching those shows. And then I remember one time uh, like I tweeted out saying, like, hey, I want to start listening to some film podcasts. I don't know where to start. A lot of people recommended this one. And so I downloaded a bunch and listened through a bunch of them and tried to be objective, even though I've known Jeff because I'm a friend for a long time that maybe I don't want to listen to his film opinions. But I ended <laughs> up liking the podcast a lot. Yeah. And so d- d- despite something. your
0: attempts to be objective, <laughs> you <laughs> you got seduced by the the sonorous tones of jeff canada basically no what it's happened true. was
3: he he overcame his objection to listening to me anymore because <laughs> of you dave you're that powerful wow it's amazing, amazing. you can overcome it? even my negative vibes
2: yeah you know well everyone was making fun of me in the in the pre-pod over how uh, my sacrilegious decision to listen to podcasts at like 1.45 speed and overcast uh, and that's just sure. to get past jeff's opinions as fast as possible <laughs> and get to the ones that i find valuable and and so it just, it all works out in the end. And um, so I was telling her about these podcasts I was listening to. I told her, I was like, oh, I think you might like this film one. Um, uh, and you can like, here's conversations about movies that we will not have time to ever see. So at least you know something about them. Um, she's like, oh, like, da- why is it da- David Chen's on a podcast? And then I'd reached out to like, started following Davindra, and then he followed me and then I followed you, David, and then you followed me and then I remember reaching out to you like before Avengers Endgame, and just saying like, Hey, I'm just DMing you purely so I can do this in front of my wife because she's going to be simultaneously embarrassed <laughs> and very jealous. Um, And so the, the fact that I can bring this all the way to its natural end point is, uh, is a true delight.
0: Well, that's, that's such a heartwarming story to hear. And uh, let's hope that you don't embarrass your wife tonight on the podcast with your, Oh,
2: <laughs> she's, we know that's not possible. We've got lower lows.
3: I think, it's I think you know we we actually found a really good place for you to join in because Patrick is a notorious horror fan, and uh, I w- always enjoy listening to his opinion about scary movies. So this is this is a good good movie. You know, rather than Avengers Endgame, I mean, this is a good movie for you to be a part of.
0: <laughs> indeed, indeed. All right. Well, before we get to our uh, what we've been watching segment, uh, of course, you can always write into us at slashfilmcast at gmail Uh, And find more episodes of this show at slashfilmcast.com. We got a bunch of emails in response to our conversation last week about Terminator Dark Fate. And I wanted to read one from Betsy from Chicago, who writes into at gmail.com. And I'll just say that there are, I guess, basic plot details about Terminator Dark Fate revealed during the course of this uh, email. So if you don't want to know any basic plot details about Terminator Dark Fate, skip ahead by like uh, 30, 60 seconds. Uh, But... It was such a good email, I wanted to make sure we gave it some airtime on the show. Uh, here it is, quote, With your recent episode about Terminator Dark Fate, I was a little disappointed not to hear a little more of a discussion on the social politics of the film. The leading cast is three quarters female, yes, but can we talk about how radical making the future savior of the world a Mexican woman is, especially in today's climate? As a Mexican woman myself, it is so rare to see any Latinxes in sci fi without them being for uh, men, Latin lover, or cheech style stereotypes, and for women, exoticized sex pots or butch badass I grew up with six brothers cliches. It is only recently that we are seeing any Latinx actors show up in sci-fi as non-caricatures. See Oscar Isaac and Diego Luna in Star Wars. I cannot tell you how much the inclusion of Danny and the setting of Mexico meant to me in this movie. For this reason especially, I found it difficult in the episode when you guys discussed how the T-1000 from T2 had sociopolitical meaning at the time, but the Rev-9 less so, really? We see Danny, a girl taking care of her family and just living her life and being great at her job, pursued by a man in a border patrol outfit who is bent on killing her for most of the movie for something she hasn't even done yet. Does that not sound just a little bit relevant? Beyond this, we see scenes where Sarah, Danny, and Grace are running through border detention, and there are oblique social statements here. There are many people of color officers, not even just Mexicans, pointing to people of color often also being complicit in government oppression, and there are lines built into the script to reflect the way Border Patrol officials are made to downplay their jobs, i.e. Grace saying, where do you take new prisoners, and the Border Patrol agent saying, we call them detainees. This movie, while being a fun return to characters we love and some we are just getting to know, has something to say about the tireless monsters we are living with today. In 1991, it was a cop you're supposed to trust and be able to go to for help when you need it. We see that statement make a return at the beginning of the movie when Grace arrives at the bridge and beats up the cops accosting the young couple who helps her. But the majority of the movie seems to have much more to say about the way humans are willing to hunt and cage one another and make justifications about, uh, about it based on what might happen otherwise. While the delivery was a little clumsy, the revelation that a Mexican woman herself is the future savior of mankind is a radical statement. It is also the kind of arc that would have made me weep with joy as a little girl who grew up loving Sarah Connor, end quote. This is a good email. Yes. Good, it's email. A good email from Betsy from Chicago. And I think, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say like we did probably understate the political <laughs> significance. Of... I,
1: I almost feel like I was sidetracked a little in that discussion <laughs> trying to talk about what that movie is. I, I, don't, I don't know. Camera points at Jeffrey Connada <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, But like no, that. no, no, no. It, it was fun. That was a fun chat. I think this is a very good point because I really enjoyed that movie. Um, maybe it felt less impactful too, because it felt like we are doing sort of the Robert Patrick stuff again with, uh, yeah, with the I, villain.
0: I think, so like, p- yeah, we, we, all the things we said are still true, but this point is very good. Correct. I think the movie is just not very good is the problem, right? It's, it's, we had fun with it. Like some of us had fun with it. Um, but the movie's not very good. And, and as a result, I think it's harder for a point like this to really land, but it's a fair point that. The main character is a Mexican woman, and uh, she is positioned as kind of the savior of the world. She, she is the kind of new Sarah Connor, and the villain is dressed in a Border Patrol agent suit. And, uh, you know, I, I, we talked about how—recently about how, like, movies are very much a product of their time. And how—what uh, was that movie we, we reviewed recently? Um, Parasite. That's right. A couple weeks ago, we reviewed Mm -hmm. Parasite and how, like, there's been several Eat the Rich movies that have come out this week, uh, this uh, year, 2019. Uh, I listed Us as another one, um, but there's been several. And I think also, like, The idea of race, the idea of who's allowed to be in this country, and Joker, Joker's and Eat the Rich, Joker, yeah, that's right. That was the other big one, the the billion dollar grossing Joker, basically. Yeah. Um, And yeah, uh, the idea of like who's allowed to be in this country and and uh, the the steps we're taking to prevent people from getting into this country is very much in popular culture right now. Uh, I think Terminator: Dark Fate is one example of it. I mentioned a Netflix documentary called Living Undocumented, and I'm not going to give anything away, but. There is something we are reviewing before the end of 2019 that also has this as a major theme, um, but I to to say what movie would actually give it away. But it is a movie that we are going to review, and so like uh, agreed that this is this is very much in the popular culture. It's in the air, and it was also in Terminator: Dark Fate. So, thanks for writing that email, Betsy from Chicago. Really appreciate it, Patrick. You have not seen Terminator: Dark Fate yet, have you? No, I have not. It is uh, you know as. Uh
2: well, both Jeff and Davindra can attest to you have to make a hierarchy of uh, well I guess I would film because you guys do a film codcast. so you yeah, have to kind of yeah. uh, evaluate that but it also there are other things in your life it's like uh, movies it's like i have to elevate like it's pretty much, we see blockbusters in the theaters and then even in blockbusters it's got to be like okay like it's got it's pretty much marvel movies <laughs> like as we prioritize our babysitting time when we ask my mom for a favor um so not terminator fate seemed like one that i could safely wait for uh it to arrive uh, on itunes
0: i guess that's fair enough the terminator dark fates of the world just fall by the wayside apparently
2: yeah yeah it is and it's one of those where it's like okay when you show up on hbo the one thing the one bonus i get with uh terminator dark fate probably doesn't fall in this category is that i'm part of a union at my work so i'm technically in the writers guild so i get screeners <laughs> like towards the end of the year and so all like the dramatic films that fall like in the the oscar category at least i get to see those and i can do that a do that at my house
0: yeah, well, all those uh, Oscar awards that Dark Fate's gonna get some for, <laughs> um, but we'll yeah. see, we'll see. Uh, you, you never know, you never know. In any case, Patrick, let's talk. About, let's talk about some of what we've been watching this week. Uh, what have you been watching this week, Patrick Klebeck?
2: Ah, uh, the one I, I we finished it up just a little while ago, but I feel like it went really under the radar because it it was a foreign language series. But uh, Marianne on Netflix was one of the sort of like Netflix's sort of premiere. Horror uh sort of like releases in October. You know, we had uh in the tall grass or into the tall grass. I always like mix up the the, the one in of the, the two, tall but grass. That was the, in the, in tall, the tall, tall grass. grass. Yeah. Uh, which I liked quite a bit. And then uh, sort of like paired uh, with that was um this, yeah, the show called uh, Marianne, which uh, I've taken to sort of pitching it as uh fleabag meets haunting of Hill House, but with a very scary witch. Mm. Um, so I yeah. am Yes. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. I, Devendra, I know you and I are on a similar, uh, creative wavelength with, uh, Mike Flanagan. And so if, Mm -hmm. uh, you are, if you like his sort of like character driven work and the character drives some of the scares more than the, the, the scares driving, like the the reason to watch, uh, the film, um, uh, in this case, this is a a sort of a mini series. Um, I I think it works uh, exceptionally well. The, The woman who plays like the primary witch is just utterly terrifying. Without falling into, uh, I think, a trap that a lot of horror movies can do. I mean, horror movies like there are is no genre that um, plays with worrying stereotypes and cliches uh, more than horror. Um, Despite it being my favorite genre, I like (laughs) you have to go into every film knowing, like, boy, which how is it going to screw some depiction of mental illness or something else uh, here? Um, It's often the case that. Uh, horror will treat the elderly as a thing to be scared of in a way that is uh, just not really earned. It's more just like, yeah, old people, boy, aren't they scary? And um, although the the witch in Marianne is 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 older, it's not using that as its crutch. It's it's finding other um, ways to to really scare you, and it just happens to be this woman that is your introduction to 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 the witch. And so, kind of the setup of Marianne is that. Um, some sort of event occurs in this like small sleepy, uh, sleepy uh, sea town um, forcing uh, this girl to leave. And she grows up uh, to become sort of a successful horror author um, and writing sort of like indicated, maybe she's channeling some experiences that had happened to her when she was young. um, And then a death uh, forces her to kind of come back to her town and confront, you know, her past. And, you know, it's a pretty generic setup, but it's a, it's a really scary series. Like, Watch the first episode. I, I think it will scare the hell out of you. If the first episode doesn't do anything for you, you can safely just stop. It's it doesn't really deviate from the tone that it establishes, but it's funny and uh, scary and a delight. And uh, the Fleabag comparison mostly comes from the fact that it has like a character that you both despise, but also have a lot of fun with. Um, and uh, the Haunting the Hill House part is that, you know, as I mentioned, it's it's pretty character-driven. So, uh, yeah, Marianne, I, I highly, highly recommend it.
0: All right. Very cool. That's Marianne, and it's on Netflix right now. Uh, Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching this week? Well,
3: I've been watching a Netflix series as well. Uh, it is called Living With Yourself, and it stars Paul Rudd and Paul Rudd. Uh, it is, uh, it's a, a show about a, well, I don't even know. I guess the premise is kind of, I don't know if the premise is a spoiler. I hope it isn't. It's a show about, uh, a guy who sort of inadvertently clones himself <laughs> and then has to deal with that. I mean, I think the fact that you see two Paul Rudds on all the posters is, is going to be away <laughs> that. But, I hate um, it when
1: that happens. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I watched all eight episodes of this show, uh, pretty quickly. I enjoyed it a lot. It does something that I love when movies or shows do, and I don't talk about this enough. I don't think anybody talks about this enough, but it's a it's a trope that I always like, almost always like, uh, and that is seeing a series of events and then seeing them again from another character's perspective. I love it when that happens in anything. When you see a scene and then a character, you know, in, interacts with all these other characters. And then you see that same scene later from a different character's perspective and what, how they saw it and where they were in the room and their angle on the stuff that you saw earlier. That th- I just love that it, it is. It is. It always tickles me. It's always a fun game to be playing inside a piece of fiction. And this show does it over and over and over. It's really fun. you see an entire episode <laughs> of a character going about their day doing the thing having the the big crazy thing that happens in that episode and then the next episode will be another character that was just in a few scenes of that first you know that previous episode but what they were doing that whole at a time what brought them into those scenes it's fun it's very fun and uh, the show really ends up being about something about you know it's very poignant it's sort of about Uh, I don't know if you want to say midlife crisis, but more like relationships and how they can be tough after a a while. And, and you know what it is about ourselves that we may lose or find in the course of being with another person for a long time. And I just thought it was i thought it was a really fun, worthwhile show. I mean, it's not going to be one of my favorite shows of the year by any stretch, but it certainly is well worth watching for eight episodes, half hour episodes, and uh, had laughs and and poignant moments and and a lot of fun to be had along the way.
0: Well, that is great to hear. Uh, I've been very intrigued by it. They've, like Netflix has been plugging it a lot. Uh, but glad to hear you like it, Jeff. I will plan to check it out. That's living with yourself on Netflix, Jeff. Do you have a favorite movie or show or whatever that does that thing that you're talking about, where they show you the thing from a different perspective? Oh I can think man, I think have a few off the top of my head, right? So go, go like, for it, go for it. The first <laughs> uh, one
3: I thought of was Clue, but well, go ahead. Clue's a with good
0: what? one. I would say like. Uh, pro- probably like the ultimate, the Neplu Ultra, you know, one of these that like it, it kind of helped invent it. You know, if you're not counting like Akira Kurosawa's Rashomon or something, is like, yeah. uh, Back to Feature Two. You know, right? Like that's yeah. the one I'm like, I, like that was so mind blowing to me when I saw that as a kid. Yeah, the idea that like, oh my gosh, it's like the first movie, but from a different angle. You know, like right. how yeah. is that even possible? Like my brain is it? It's so fun. You, yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh. Avengers Endgame does a lot of that
1: yeah, uh, Yeah, and and it's
3: really fun. Um, I'm trying to think of ones that don't do it as a time travel device, more as a literally like, you just saw the scene, let's give you new information about that scene you just saw. We're not, the characters aren't time traveling, just you as a viewer are time traveling. We're just gonna go back and show you, oh, you know what, you know what, Ah, I would even argue might be the prime example to combat your prime example pulp fiction Mm. right yeah pulp fiction does that a lot where you're like okay now you're gonna see what those characters were doing in the you know that brought them to that other place you already saw
0: right you know uh and and like some sometimes the remembered versions are different right like um the, the version of the um the opening scene where uh, uh, Honey Bunny and and Tim Roth yeah. like rob the thing like that's I think it's the the words she speaks are slightly different in the last yeah rendition of it right. Any um, of you fucking
3: pricks move, I'll execute every last one of you. E- any of you motherfuckers move, I'll ev- execute every last motherfucking one of you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I would say a show that takes us to the extreme is the Affair on Showtime, uh, which. I don't know if you are familiar with the structure of that show, but they basically Mm -hmm. show you a sequence of events from one character's perspective and then they show you that same sequence from a different character's perspective. Mm. Um, And the the problem, I think the problem with that show is that like, a lot of times the the versions are radically different. Like they they are so different, you know, because we all remember events differently, but like sometimes they're so different that it's just like, in one version, you know, they had an argument and the other one, like somebody killed the other person. It's just like, that doesn't yeah. even make any sense, you know, like, uh, but that, that would be another show that does that. So you may, you may enjoy that show as well. Um, I have
3: not watched. I know. I remember Davindra talking highly about the affair as well, right?
0: Yeah. I Did watched you? the first like, uh, two seasons and I found that show is still on the air. I don't, I <laughs> don't it know just, how. I think it just it's ended. It's still going. Actually. It just ended.
1: I believe it just I, ended, but, uh, I, I, checked out in season three cause it got really dumb. I, I think that's the only way to say it, but the first <laughs> two seasons were pretty good. Yeah. I heard Brendan Fraser
0: was in some of the later seasons. That sounded like it was cool, but yeah. Shit gets weird, man. Yeah, I never never got back to it, unfortunately. Um, But uh, Jeff, sounds like Living With Yourself, a show that really put a smile on your face.
3: It did, Dave. It did. And speaking of smiles on one's face, hey, it's that time of year again when we're smiling. We're going to get a lot of pictures taken. Uh, Is there any chance that you, dear listener, are... Worried about your smile? We got a sponsor that may help you. My wife actually just t- took advantage of our sponsor, Candid Co. Candid has aligners that allow you to make your smile into the smile that you've always wanted. They call it the gift of self-confidence because it's actually allows you to, over time, reform your teeth into into a straighter smile into a uh what you would want them to be if you're worried about having crooked teeth as my wife was she the bottom her bottom teeth some of them she'd always been a little self-conscious about she didn't like the fact that some of them you know weren't weren't uh, exactly straight and so she had just started her aligners. She's in week 2 of her aligners from Candid Co. Uh she they, they are comfortable, removable, completely invisible, which is awesome. I actually tweeted a picture of her wearing them and you can't even tell. She's smiling, you can't even tell. She in 2 weeks, she has already noticed a change. She said, "Oh my gosh, I as I I can feel it." She's like, "I can I close my my teeth together and it feels differently. It feels straighter, it feels more aligned. It's pretty awesome." Plus there's no hassle of going to an orthodontist office. They they just ship the aligners directly to you. You do it all yourself. She had this really amazing experience using the app to take pictures of the inside of her mouth. It's very easy to follow along. It's a step-by-step process. It's pretty amazing. And then an experienced orthodontist who is licensed in your state creates your custom treatment plan. They show you a 3D preview so you can see how your teeth are gonna look after you're done, make sure that's exactly what you want. And then you start wearing your aligners, as my wife is doing, and she's uh, she's already seeing results, and she's super excited about how it's going to be giving herself the, the gift of a, a straighter smile, a happier smile. So you can give yourself the gift of Candid. Go to CandidCo, that's CandidCO.com, slash Filmcast, and use the code Filmcast to get $75 off. Wow, that's CandidCO.com, slash Filmcast, the promo code filmcast. For $75 off, Candid C-A-N-D-I-D-C-O.com slash filmcast and the promo code filmcast, that's F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, all one word.
0: Thanks to Candid for sponsoring us this episode. All right, let's talk about what Devinder Hardwar has been watching. Vinger, what have you watched this week? Oh, a bunch
1: of things. I've been watching the second season of uh, a series that I really enjoyed the first time around. So, first up is Castle Rock. The second season just started on Hulu. I guess a couple of weeks ago, and it seems like it's a completely different story from the first one. Um, this is a show that basically remixes a lot of Stephen King concepts. So, this one has Lizzie Kaplan starring as ah uh, what the main character for Misery. What's her name? What's her name? Oh. Yeah, um, I forget. Well, her Kathy Bates. Yeah,
0: her character, her character, <laughs> Kathy Annie Bates. Wilkes. Annie Wilkes. Yes, there yes. you go.
1: She is the young Annie Wilkes in this show. Uh, looks like 30 something Annie Wilkes uh, with a teenage daughter. And that is like they basically uh, are on the run for reasons and they make their way to Castle Rock. Uh, things don't look good. Um, but it is sort of like dealing with Annie Wilkes' mental state, uh, her just trying to protect her daughter, and them eventually kind of making a bit of a life in Castle Rock. And, you know, it's dealing with all sorts of things. Um, there are a lot of references to other Stephen King uh, series and books that I can't quite mention. Like, they mention Derry. Uh, there, there is a house that I know is important. There's way too much Stephen King stuff I can't quite figure out <laughs> there there's a house that works a lot like a uh, pet cemetery where people get resurrected and are also super evil. Um I'm mainly watching this for Lizzie Kaplan because I think she is fantastic. She is doing a really interesting uh, riff on Kathy Bates, Annie Wilkes, and it, I love her and I love her performance. And I think the show, it doesn't it's, I, I, I wouldn't call it a great show, but it does some really cool stuff with this mythology and I'm going to watch it r- so far, mainly for Lizzie Kaplan.
0: All right, well that's Castle Rock season two and it's on Hulu right now, right? It's on Hulu, yeah. yes. And, and it is it is really remarkable mm-hmm. to consider the influence of Stephen King on basically our pop culture. I mean everything. I think yeah. this year alone there's been four Stephen King things, right? So like there's a new Castle Rock season, right? Um there was it chapter two, which is Stephen mm-hmm. King, uh the movie we're reviewing today, Dr. Sleep. Uh, and then uh in the tall grass stephen king uh, sure. and joe hill adaptation and then also uh, there is a i think there's an hbo series called the outsider based on a stephen king book as well coming yes. in. and yes. so it's just like are we officially yeah. in a king kingassance uh i don't think he we, he never leaves He them. never went away yeah. about stephen it's king he is he's omnipresent
1: <laughs> yeah. he is everywhere yeah, but, yeah. But
2: definitely post it there was a yes. like like really could, it, there's definitely like been an uptick in even just like promoting the fact that like putting Stephen King's name like more front and center. I mean, it was always there in the promotion and the marketing, but now it's just sort of like every one of his stories is getting greenlit one way or the other. I got no problem with it. It's the, the spread, the quality of like the adaptations are directly proportional to the quality of Stephen King's writing. And I say that as someone that like deeply <laughs> adores King as a writer, the man who can't write an ending to save his life. Um, But uh, I'm I'm for
0: it because it's just, you know, why not? Um, yeah. Uh, did I mention cool. Pet Cemetery by the way? That was another one that, that came yeah, out. Yeah, Pet Cemetery this year, yeah. That's good. We won't uh, talk about that movie ever again, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Avenger, what else have you been
1: watching this week? Uh just quickly also wanted to mention the second season of The End of the Effing World uh, just dropped on Netflix. I feel like there wasn't much promotion for this or anything, but I remember loving the original season and uh, it's back. Uh, our two favorite teen sociopaths, psychopaths, are back in the story. What I love about this show is that it just moves so quickly. Like the first 15 minutes of uh, of the first episode of the season tells the entire arc that I think is just so interesting and does like the work of several episodes of a typical show. And this show is so easy to just consume. They're, they're like 20 minute episodes. It all moves so quickly. There's They're jam-packed with information and plot and character work and a tremendous soundtrack. So if you have not checked it out yet, uh, be sure to check out The End of the effing World. Um, I did try to watch that other thing that was on Netflix, uh, the like teen Mad Max thing was that Daybreak. I lasted 15 minutes of that show <laughs> and then I had to like abort. I had to eject immediately out of that situation. And then I saw the end of the effing world was back. So that was the difference in quality is astounding between these two. Um, maybe I'll give Daybreak another shot at some point, but I really love end of the effing world. All right.
0: I like how you're just walking us through basically your evening with Netflix. First oh, yeah, I did yeah. this, and then I was like, oh, hey, that <laughs> yeah. looks good. I was like, Daybreak, yeah.
1: one of those shows, like Daybreak has a really fun trailer, a really interesting premise, right? Like Mad Max, uh, except it's high school kids in the future and there are zombies. Like uh, there's so many elements here I really want to love. And 15 minutes of that show, it's just like, man, abort, abort. Uh, get me out of this situation.
3: You know, it's funny from, uh, this is going to sound really hypocritical coming from the guy who hates trailers and doesn't watch them. But, uh, I feel like I've watched so many Netflix shows by just hovering over them for a few seconds. <laughs> mm. Uh, mostly it's the, it's the, like the documentaries or the comedy stand up specials where I'm like, I got three good jokes. That's all I needed. I don't even need to push play on this.
0: Uh, yeah, it, it is quite a fun game to basically try to outrun the Netflix autoplay, right? Like yeah. you, you're, you're kind of chilling and then you're like, okay, you, you want to switch as many, uh, to, uh fr- as frequently as you can to avoid just that autoplay playing and revealing part of the show.
3: I feel um, like all those food shows, all those, all those, you know, I can watch <laughs> just the hover over clip and i be, I feel like I did it. I feel like I watched it. Yeah, yeah. I got all I needed from that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, the VOD equivalent of uh, watching something at one point five speed, Jeff. Is that right? I guess. Said? I guess it is. I guess. I guess
3: I was the monster the whole time. That's right. That's right.
0: Shocking <laughs> twist. Uh, okay, so that's the end of the effing world. That's what has been watching along with Castle Rock season two. Uh, I have a few things to run through. Uh, Orange is the new black season seven. Did anyone here go the distance with Orange is the new black? Anybody I mean, really re seasons. You? I love that show four seasons
2: maybe yeah. i couldn't even tell you where i fe- eventually fell off it gets mm. super messy later super on super shocked yeah. that it's
0: still even going to be honest with you so orange is is the new black season 7 is the final season and uh i had heard from my uh colleague tara ariana who hosts the extra hot great podcast uh that it is worth going back and watching this season like even if you like, fell off even like if orange you like is the old black right Right, Dave. Right, <laughs> no, okay. uh, Pretty rough. Orange enough. is the old black now because it's been uh-huh. around so long. Anyway, yeah. uh, uh, was that like a thirty-second? De- was that a thirty-second delay, Jeff? On the, the yeah, I, here? I think you're, you guys
3: are trying to trying to beep bleep me out of here somehow. I don't understand it. <laughs> um, it,
0: so Orange is New Black season seven. Uh, I mean, yes, there's definitely some plot lines that I so I basically I don't think I watched season three, four, or I I did watch parts of season three. Don't know if I made it all the way into season three, but Did I didn't watch person riot
1: season. Yeah. Didn't watch
0: seasons four, five, or six. That uh, was really. Cool. And yeah. then I decided like I heard, hey, season seven, it's it's still good. It's worth going back for. Uh so I went and watched uh, pretty much all like yeah, the entirety of season seven. And it is, in fact, uh really, really good. It is a hugely ambitious season. This is a season that tackles uh the um uh, the Me Too movement it tackles what's going on at our borders with people being detained and then deported. Uh, it tackles uh, just like what it's like to try to get out of prison because one of the some of the major characters actually leave prison and they try to adjust to the real world outside of prison and find that in fact the system is still arrayed against them and uh, and it's it's really about like you know our institutions and our systems and how they are. Um, they they display a shocking lack of humanity towards the people within them, and uh, that's what you know this season primarily is about. Doesn't it say something
3: though that you could just sit out three full seasons and <laughs> it's okay you didn't miss?
1: There, there are surely bits you've missed. Like yeah, many yeah, yeah, no. characters have died. I, like, yeah, I said things yeah. Things
0: have happened. Many yeah. characters have died. Some have been sent away. There's like one major plot line of a character who's convicted of murder that like. I didn't even know what happened there, but I had to, kind of, you know, you can get, you can kind of get it from context, you know, like in French class, um, <laughs> you can kind of like figure out what the definition of the word is from context. Uh, so yeah, it, it, I definitely missed like a bunch of stuff. So it wasn't like, oh, just picked out. It was, it was like law and order. I didn't even need to watch anything in between. <laughs> like, it's not like that. That being said, um, this is a great send off of those, of all, like many of the characters in the show. Um, it does tackle a lot of these topics with a lot of sensitivity and in a way that you don't see on other shows. And it reminded me what made this show so great in the first place, which is that like, when this show first came out many years ago, uh, it was it, an exemplar of what you could do with streaming television. Right? We were seeing uh, actors on screen that didn't look like actors we were used to seeing on network television. And we were hearing stories that we weren't used to hearing on network television and um, even on like premium cable. And because the episodes weren't constrained by like a programming schedule, uh, they could drop them all at once, and they were like an hour or longer every episode. Um, and it's easy to rem- it's easy to forget how kind of revolutionary was Orange Is the New Black in in inaugurating this new era of streaming television. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, it was one of the standard bearers at the time, and I do think season seven is a great way to send it off. So. Mm. Just wanted to give a shout out for Orange is the New Black Season 7. It's a great season. It's worthy of, a sh- it's like basically, a lot of people call it a return to form. Like it's it's like what, a return to what made the show great. And I agree with that assessment. So, and there is this huge subplot around like ICE and around like deportations that uh, as I mentioned earlier, is very much of its time. It's like, it's, it's what creators are thinking about right now uh, and like a- assessing what kind of country we are uh, and that's definitely a topic on this season. So for that reason alone, I think it's worth mm-hmm. kind of investigating. So it's
1: it's easy to forget to like this show was a great Trojan horse, right? It was sold as like the, the adaptation of the book Orange is the New Black, which is basically about, you know, a middle class white lady going to prison and her experience of that. And the show is completely not about that. Like she by season two and three, like she is she is just another character in this like wild wide field of characters filled with people that yeah we normally don't get to see on tv and hearing their stories it was it was really good so definitely worth watching i kind of want to re-watch the show at some point
0: I, w- I would say this season kind of centers a little bit more on her than than previous seasons have um mm-hmm. but to kind of like tie up her plot line because she's the kind of character we we started the show with yeah but what is great about orange is new black is yeah you're seeing all these uh diverse actors and Every single one of them is delivering amazing performances. And uh I, I think the show is great. I think you should check it out. It's Orange is New Black. Um season seven, it's on Netflix. Speaking of things on Netflix, I had a chance to check out Seth Meyer's new uh comedy special uh called Lobby Baby. And I saw that
3: when I hovered over it. Some
0: three like <laughs> three solid <laughs> jokes, man. <laughs> Uh, and I, I so I really enjoy Seth Myers. I think he's one of the kind of successors to John Stewart. Um, I've spent many hours watching his segment "A Closer Look" on YouTube. He like uploads them to YouTube, and I think they're very, very amusing and informative takes on the day's news, particularly when it comes to political news. Uh, so I was very eager to check out this special called "Lobby Baby." It's uh, very pleasant. It's fun. But the thing I was most interested in checking out is uh, – I don't know if you all heard this, but he has a feature on the special uh, that allows you to skip the political jokes in the uh, – huh. Gotta special. love it.
1: Gotta hmm, love wow. it. This and, is where
0: we are as a society. Yes. Because he basically says, well, some people don't like political jokes, and so I'm going to give you the option to skip it. And then in, in the special, he says, so if you're watching this on Netflix – and he, then he points down to the corner. Right Where you see the button that's like skip intro or whatever. And he points out of the corner and he's like, so, you know, I'll give you a second to find that button if you want to skip the politics. And then basically if, if you press that button, it'll skip forward like 15 minutes uh, and skip the entire political joke section. So he's making use of the uh, poli- like the, the kind of functionality of Netflix to... So that isn't
3: ship. a gag? It's It's, it's a legit... Thing it is a legit yep. feature.
0: Yeah, you can you can yep. press a button and skip politics. Now I was I,
3: expecting it to be a joke, like you push the button and it goes to the end credits or something. No, no,
0: no, no. no. <laughs> um, I will say this uh, that I watched this uh, special on Apple t- on my Apple TV, and Apple TV for some reason is incapable. <laughs> of any kind of interactivity in Yeah, in, uh, it couldn't run Bandersnatch. They couldn't it run couldn't Bandersnatch, it, right? And yeah. so like something about the codec or, or the firmware whatever they're using is inhospitable to Netflix's in, yeah. in, uh, in interactivity features. You do not get a warning about that when <laughs> the special plays. So then he's like, "Hey, so uh yeah, um so if you want to skip the politics, just like press that button right there." And he points the corner, nothing appears right <laughs> and,
1: then, this and this then, by the way is is a long story about apple not supporting google's like video right. format. Yeah, like yeah. it is so stupid stupid and annoying but man so so you watched it uh uncut dave how brave of you
0: <laughs> and so he points at, and i'm just like i'm like okay and then like i actually when i watched it and then no button appeared i like re- rewatch because basically i watched it so that i could talk about it on the podcast tonight and uh i nothing happened and so I like rewound it. I was like, "Did I did I do something wrong?" Like rewind it, go back to the part, and then you know, sure enough, he points at the corner again, and no button appears. And uh, so then I was like, "Okay, well, th- it's probably just like the Apple TV thing." So then I went to my web browser and opened it up, and it, in fact, the button does appear, and it says "Skip Politics" on it, and you can skip politics. So yeah, it works, uh, and but it's not like any more fancy than it's skipping forward to a predefined point in in the episode so it's not like uh, it it takes you to a whole other show or anything like that um, so just like
3: the rest of the world putting your head in the sand is more trouble than it's worth is what you're saying in,
0: in, indeed i think what is interesting though is that like uh on a very light level right that the functionality of netflix it, it, like actually shaped the special itself in some way right like because mm-hmm. he, he, he clumps them all together. Well, A, he clumps them all together. So, right, like it's actually shaping the material. And B, he acknowledges it in the course of doing the special. He's like, yeah. hey, so Netflix is letting me skip the poll. And, and he like talks about it. So it becomes part of the special. Right. So I wonder
1: if it was Netflix letting him do it or Netflix being like, hey, we have this thing. You should use this thing. Uh, it's really cool. Just put all your jokes in one thing and uh, yeah, people could just skip it because between this and like, uh, what was it? Reed Hastings comments around uh, censoring that episode of Hassan Minaj's show. Uh, yeah. Netflix is really showing what it, uh, what it cares most about is making sure nobody's offended by its content. Yes.
0: Well, uh, I, my understanding is actually, it was Seth uh, at yeah. Seth Myers's request that like they, they try this out. Um, or it was like a collaboration, you know? It wasn't like Netflix was like, hey, you should do this. It was more like he had this idea, and he went to Netflix with it, and they were cool with it. Mm-hmm. Because I think he is sensitive to people who don't like political jokes, and um, they are all clumped together. And if you don't like politics, it is possible to watch the show, skip politics, and enjoy it. Like, the rest of his show, is uh, the rest of the special, I should yeah. say, is not suffused with politics, so... Um, but speaking of technology, so so anyway, that's Seth Meyers' lobby baby. It's on Netflix right now. Speaking of technology, on last week's episode of the Slash Filmcast, we talked about, uh, or, or Jeff made the prediction that in the future movies would all have uh, like <laughs> CG actors, right? Or or yeah. actors who people have been brought made back young. from
1: the dead, right? Yeah,
3: and in yeah, fact, so you wouldn't be limited. Uh, you wouldn't be limited. The casting director wouldn't be limited to the living for uh, who they wanted to cast in their movies.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, we recently learned, like in the intervening week, we learned that James Dean had been cast in a uh, upcoming film. And uh, the the director of that film, so d- director Anton Ernst, uh, along with co-director Tati Golik, announced Wednesday that their Vietnam War-era drama Finding Jack would feature the late actor... James Dean as a prominent character, uh, and there was a huge social media backlash. Patrick yeah. Klepek, you hear about this James Dean situation on, on social media?
2: I, I did. I d- chose to not believe it and thought <laughs> that if I just willed it out of existence that the, the backlash <laughs> would take care of it for me, and then i just see it's like, update. Turns out they're not doing it anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that that's happened. But what's interesting is uh, the director uh, Ernst, right? gave an interv- Anton Ernst gave an interview to the Hollywood Reporter, and I, I found the interview a little bit silly. Like, here's what he says in 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 the interview. He says, quote, "We searched high and low for the perfect character to portray the role of Rogan, which has some extreme complex character arcs. And after months of re- research, we decided on James Dean." End quote. it's just like basically like that that was the act they're like they're like after an extensive nationwide search (laughs) james dean was the actor i'm sure it was an extensive search about
1: how to make people care about their damn vietnam war movie so it's like oh yeah literally stunt casting you know
0: yeah, and, and uh, he says very clear, like, it was not intended to be a, a marketing gimmick. It was intended to be very respectful. He says, quote, at the end of the day, we, what we really want people to know is the movie is about love and friendship, the veterans that served in the Vietnam War, and especially the dogs that were with them. We never want to lose that emphasis, and this social media reaction becomes a distraction about what the, of what the story is about, end quote.
3: So. It's just that James Dean gave the best audition. I mean, <laughs> you can't argue with results, you know? yeah yeah
0: I mean yeah, he sent in a rebel without a cause it's <laughs> pretty good. I think it's you know it's interesting that like one day our people you know Jeff you have been through the audition process right uh, yeah for, I went tomorrow in Hollywood <laughs> and it is one of the most dehumanizing processes you can you can think of, right yep and like it's it's kind of staggering to consider that like one day perhaps soon real life actors will be con- competing with dead actors for roles
3: or actors that never existed at all. Right. You know, there's, there's probably, you know, I think Patrick and I talk a lot about video games in our other lives. And you think about a character like Nathan Drake, Nathan Drake is a very particular looking dude Mm -hmm. that never existed. That, that guy isn't based. I mean, he's based on general (laughs) ideas of people, but he's not, he does not made to look like a specific person. Not like, you know, death stranding just came out and it has Norman Reedus who looks like Norman Reedus, right? And you could imagine a game or a movie where Norman Reedus plays that part after Norman Reedus is dead, right? Because it doesn't matter, it's, it's digital Norman Reedus. But it, I think it's even weirder to think, well, we'll just invent someone that kind of looks like we want him to look and isn't anybody and never was anybody. It's just this kind of thing thats not that wasn't, uh, but it looks like a person that was.
1: I I like this discussion. This is not confusing at all. (laughs) Jeff, I have a question for you, by the way. If you, I, I can imagine, like, I'm wondering, like, what extra work would be like in the future when, like, this process of just creating CG actors just, like, is a thing. Would you ever sell your likeness to a service that could just insert you into a TV show or something down the line? Oh uh, yeah, you're l- like the Congress.
0: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Let's talk tra- contracts. Yeah, I think you already. I think you already did that, right? Didn't you? Didn't you sell to uh, what was it? Public Storage that uh, stock photo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for those who don't know, Jeff's Jeff's face is on the pamphlet for Public Storage, the self storage company.
3: Has been for I think. 15 years at right. this point.
0: And that was yeah. an experience that had no downsides, right?
3: It was one day of work. I think I got $250 uh, <laughs> to take my picture a few times, which at the time seemed like a king's ransom. <laughs> until you realize that your children and your children's children are going to see that pamphlet <laughs> because I guess it's too difficult for public storage to ever have a second photo shoot. I don't understand.
1: It's, it's okay, Jeff. When Judgment Day happens and they look through the refuse of humanity, you will exist. You'll yeah. be there. You'll be there in those pamphlets that we'll find I, among all the human skulls. It's, it's great. Uh,
3: scrawled on the box I'm holding in the pamphlet is I, I was here.
0: I think I have like, that's going to go into my rule book. If I ever have children or even mentees, right? I'll have a a rule book of things. um, The hardest kind of tests, true false tests or open book tests. And also secondarily, never get your public, your photo taken for stock photos. Um, (laughs) Basically like top two lessons from David Chen right there.
3: Uh, Anyway. I, I think that we, we, we think of, I mean, to take this question seriously for a second. I think that we think of that stuff as creepy and weird, but I don't think the generations that follow us will. I think that is going to be something that is going to be completely normal. And the estates of people will, I mean, people while they're living will probably write that into their wills. I know for a fact that there are young actors in Hollywood who have been advised to have 3D scans of themselves oh taken every five years. I'm so pretty sure that, Norman
1: Reedus heard that advice and was just like, let me get the highest quality scan right now yeah. to be I at mean, my best. I,
3: I have literally talked to young actors who, who are more prominent than I, much more prominent than I, who have been advised to get scans of themselves every five years uh, to sort of have it as, as part of their... You know, repertoire for the future. You want to cast a young me? I've got it. I've got young me recorded. I mean, that's what they were told to do. I think that some of them have. I think some (laughs) of them have. When did
1: this start? This is interesting. Okay, okay.
2: I mean, I'll be curious because like the the James Dean specifically is, you know, Jeff, your point about, you know, uh, younger folks not necessarily caring that much. They also don't know who James Dean is, right? So it's like to them, you're inventing a CG character, right? Like it just... You know, they don't have any context, whereas like the reason a lot of us, you know, sort of like flinch at that notion is because, well, like, no, no, James Dean was a person. I've seen him in films like this. This seems odd. So I wonder if like, you know, is it like that crosses our Rubicon or, or does it get normalized to the point that like there is no Rubicon for like the for like younger generations? Or is it just like the point where they invoke. You know, someone who, I don't know, dies a young death and then they decide to like bring them into a film like then all of a sudden, like there's like a larger conversation because you have a younger generational talent that gets brought into something modern. You know, I just feel like James Dean seems like the kind of thing where you, you know, you have to look up on a Wikipedia page for a lot of well, uh, you younger folks.
3: You don't think that if you're Mark Hamill, you're sitting around thinking about like, you know, someday, I mean, it's a little creepy now to put Carrie Fisher in a movie. But, I think there's going to be a day when someone's going to be like, "Hey, let's just do a movie about Luke Skywalker when he was forty. Let's just do it." Or mm-hmm. as I've said many times, why ever need to recast Indiana Jones? Harrison Ford can be Indiana Jones forever, and he can we can always see new adventures of Indiana Jones in his prime. We don't have to have old Indiana Jones. It could just always be Harrison Ford. We're not there yet, but we're real close. And I think, in five to ten years, it's gonna be a trivial thing to do yeah. that. And I, I don't I feel it's like it's
1: gonna we, seem we, weird. We should definitely have some discussions later on, maybe in an after dark IS, about like what does that mean? Because it does feel like right now we are so we are drowning in the past of pop culture. We cannot move beyond it. And I I yeah, it, it's kind of worrying to think like, Oh yeah, we we'll just never have to move on. We'll be in Never Neverland when it comes to pop culture.
0: I do think also, yeah, I mean, things that come to mind when when you guys are saying all this stuff, like deep fakes is obviously going to become a big deal, Mm -hmm. I think, in the next decade or so. um, People not being able to tell what's authentic. uh, I think that'll become an issue. But also, Jeff, your point about, like, the most famous actors will be people who don't exist. I mean, I think there was a movie a while ago called uh, Simone, right? The um, That movie that... uh, The Pacino one? Yeah, the Pacino one. Yeah. uh, the movie directed by Andrew Nickel, very, very talented writer um, who, and, and he directed Simone, which is about like a fake celebrity, um, a right. synthetic actress. But I, I think that's probably, if that's an option, I think that's probably what will be most appealing because uh, you will be able to create actors that, um, if they are completely lifelike and convincing, right? They, they you know, they will never I mean, get tired. They will never Alita age. I yeah. Battle Angel.
3: Alita Battle Angel. We mm-hmm. saw it already this year. Well, I, mean, even, I, I, I mean,
1: even that's
0: kind of based on a, a real yeah, life person. That,
1: that's you know? mocap and digital artistry. But yeah, eventually it'll just be
0: like a model. You could plop in and but, program it to My do point being sure. that real life actors are real, are messy. They get, uh, you know, they, they get, they eventually <laughs> age, they die. Yeah. Um, they uh, sexually harass people. You know, they like, they're, they're, it's like, it's that's just there. Yeah. Like, why would you use a real life person if you could yeah. use a fake person? You and know, you could and they,
3: completely own them. yeah, like you, yeah. you don't have to worry about pesky contracts with a human being that has wants and desires. You created something that you completely own, and that thing can be is is all wholly owned subsidiary of the Disney Corporation, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to worry about it embarrassing the Disney brand or existing in any other way, but then to be an idol of the film
1: goer. Yeah, this is where i tell everybody go watch the congress which is not a perfect movie but i think one of the most prescient movies of the last decade this is all like within that film and it's kind of fascinating to see it play out
0: all right well anyway we got to leave it there but um, uh, james dean gonna be uh, an actor again apparently uh okay in terms of what else we've been watching uh, i'll just mention one other thing rick and morty's back season four uh, just premiered last night. Uh, the episode was Edge of Tomorrow." Rick Die, Rick Pete. And it was very good. Uh, it was a, you know, a classic. What was solid, the
1: reference of that title? I can't
0: quite. Uh, hard to say. <laughs> hard to say. <laughs> yeah. Hard to say. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, and it, it very much as a tie in with uh, Edge of Tomorrow. And uh, I thought it was very enjoyable. So. Um, not much time to get into it right now, but I'll just say, uh, Rick and Morty, still a a great show that kind of explores sci-fi premises, uh, with a lot of detail and with a lot of love and care. So that's Edge of Tomorty, Rick, I repeat, it's the season premiere of Rick and Morty, uh, and it's airing right now on Adult Swim.
3: Before... David, you know, the, the one thing that we'll have in the all digital future, the what one is... thing, the only thing that we can trust.
0: Uh, what, I, what is that, Jeff?
3: Sitting across the table from one another, uh-huh. looking into another human being's eyes, having a real experience at a table in person with people. And that brings me to our sponsor, which is Hunt a Killer. Hunt a Killer is it's like taking part in a. Serialized television series, or a or a or a, a cool whodunit murder mystery where you have to solve the puzzle, you have to put together the clues and find out who the killer is. But it it is actually happening at your table with your friends, with your loved ones. Uh, I have been playing Hunt a Killer with my wife. It is it is such a neat idea. You get a, the next piece of this ongoing puzzle. You you have uh, a little. Packet that arrives in the mail. You subscribe to it, and it is a fully formed episode of this pursuit, this this mystery. And you have cool physical objects that can yield clues. That you're little puzzles that you're trying to put together to try to figure out uh, the next step on this journey. And then as you wrap up that piece of the of the story, the next one comes the next month. Uh, so and you're doing this in person with people it is really a cool alternative to being on your phone or watching the next episode of whatever passively. You're actually engaging with your friends, engaging your mind, and uh, solving puzzles. I love tabletop stuff, and this is really, really, com- uh, it's really, really um, a fun version of that. It's no wonder that they have thousands of online community members and 2,000 five-star reviews on TrustPilot. Uh, fast company named them one of the most innovative entertainment companies of 2019. And the best part is that part of the proceeds for every box of hunt, a killer, go to cold case foundation funds so that actually real cold cases can be investigated and hopefully solved. So you're actually helping the world, uh, by participating. It's pretty neat. Uh, you know, hunt a killer, get you talking and having fun together with your friends that's something. That's something that we might be losing a little bit of. And I think uh, y- you'll enjoy it. So, right now, just for our listeners, you can go to hunt a com slash filmcast for 20% off your first box. Hurry, take advantage of this offer and embrace your inner detective. That's hunt a dot com slash filmcast for 20% off your first box. Hunt a killer, H-U-N-T-A-K-I-L-L-E-R dot com slash
0: film cast
3: it's not just about catching the murderer it's about the friends you make along the way
0: thanks to hunter killer for sponsoring us this week and we also got to thank all the people who donated to our podcast this week thanks to donors amy t from tucson arizona who writes in love you guys this is my new favorite way to spend the last remaining dollars on visa gift cards looking forward to the next slash film court uh, let's just pause here for a moment. Uh, what a great idea. If you have like an extra <laughs> 55 cents on your Visa gift card, definitely consider you know sending it our way. I mean like Let us
3: be your remainder. Yes, We're your remainder let us people. Be your
0: sloppy seconds, your leftovers. Uh, we would love that. So any any leftover Visa gift card cash or whatever, thanks to Amy T from Tucson Arizona for showing the way of how to handle those. We're like
3: the dogs at the table, begging for scraps. That's us. That's how you can think of us.
0: Thanks also (laughs) to Julian G, who writes, uh, hey guys, been listening to you for over a decade, and your podcast is kind of like a virtual home to me. Keep up the great work. Jeff, your puns have been inspiring as much as they have been devastating. End quote. I I, I heard inspiring. I wonder what that means. (laughs) I wonder what that means. Anyway, uh, you can only like- Orange is the old black. Oh, my God. Please never like say see? that again. Okay. <laughs> PayPal.me slash <laughs> pay, <laughs> filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. If you want to contribute some money uh, to us and help us defray the cost of seeing movies, putting on the show. Of course, we never want you to donate if it in any way causes you hardship, but if you have some extra cash, we'd appreciate it. All right. Let's get to our review of Dr. Sleep.
3: When I was a kid, there was a place, a dark place. They closed it down and let it rot. But the things that lived there—they
2: come back. Daddy. Not many
0: ride the bus this far north. You're running away from something?
3: (gasps) I'm running away from myself, I guess.
2: Hi. You can hear me. You're magic. Like me.
3: I don't know about magic. I always called it the Shining. World
0: is a hungry place, a dangerous place. That was from the trailer for Doctor Sleep, uh, the new film by director Mike Flanagan, based on the novel by Stephen King. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Years following the events of The Shining, a now adult Dan Torrance must protect a young girl with similar powers from a cult known as the True Knot, who prey on children with powers to remain immortal. Uh, So that's the plot summary of Doctor Sleep. And uh, we're joined today by Patrick Klepek from Waypoint. Uh, and so, Patrick, you are a big horror film fan. Uh, I, I think you have strong opinions on The Shining. Why don't we start there, right? <laughs> what's, what's your opinion on The Shining before we get to uh, Dr. Sleep?
2: Well, so I, uh, I've i never read the book. Um, it's for whatever reason like a blind spot, despite having read a lot of Stephen King growing up and as an adult. Um, although, I'll, like, truth be told, I with a lot of horror writers prefer short stories versus like the longer stories. And that's often, especially with Stephen King, because uh, despite him being one of my favorite writers, he can't, he can rarely write an ending that is satisfying. And so short stories limit his ability to screw that part up. Um, and I hadn't seen The Shining, the film in a really, really long time. And so given the fact that uh, I didn't read Dr. Sleep because my wife read half of it and put it down, I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to spend my time there. Um, so I'm going to revisit the movie and like try and center as much as what I can before going to see um, Doctor Sleep. Because really, Doctor Sleep was, my interest in seeing it was far more driven by uh, Mike Flanagan, the writer-director, being involved than Stephen King in this particular instance. And watching The Shining... Um, I mean, the reason you're centering this is because in the pre-show I said yeah, let's just start talking about how The Shining is a bad movie and that was like a hyperbolic to a certain extent but what I'll, what I'll say about The Shining having j- literally just rewatched it is that <laughs> I've always had a fantasy that if like I could wave a magic wand and like put aside all the stuff for like social good and like making the world a better place getting rid of climate change like all of that like you can just indulge yourselves like I would love to watch like really talented filmmakers work with like Trying to punch up like scripts that are like not at their level, like things that are bad, seemingly below them, and just like bringing their prowess to it, and like rewatching The Shining, like it it, it feels that way, like it's 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 Kubrick shooting a B movie and bringing to that his eye, his, his his talent, um, but it's still like a a B movie, like the plot is nonsense, The you know, Jack Nicholson is like, losing his mind in the first five minutes in a way that, like, I didn't read the book, but I know that it deeply betrays, uh, you know, the, the fact that, like, there's a long sort of arc that is actually deeply sympathetic to the main character into why they become the villain by the end of that film. And so it's just a movie with very strange performances, a plot that is really all over the place, um, but is is carried by the strength of its visuals in a way that, I didn't quite internalize till I went and revisited uh, the film, which uh, then gave me like a great place to kind of center like the call and response for for Dr. Sleep specifically.
3: It's interesting how so many of King's early works it, are just a metaphor for struggling with substance abuse. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know?
2: It's, well, uh, he wrote a lot of books. Uh, I don't know when The Shining like falls into the era of his personal substance abuse, but you know, I mean, there are, I think he's said- Yeah, he doesn't remember that, like, writing- For example, yeah, Dreamcatcher is another one, too, that I think he has said that like he yeah, like when you watch Dreamcatcher and you're like that book and movie are a bunch of nonsense. And it's like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. given the state of mind that he was in and like, (laughs) yeah, like in in The Shining, um, which I now I'm going to, you know, clearly go back and read because talking to various friends that have spent a lot of time with that book, like it is like one of the more engaging portrayals of him unpacking that particular demon that he's clearly wrestled with, you know, himself over the course of his career.
0: Well, I think regardless of your own personal feelings on The Shining, it's pretty easy to acknowledge that it is probably one of the most respected films, right? In cinema history, I would say. Sure. Uh, The visuals uh, of that film retain their power over many decades, I think. And like even ready
1: player one could not avoid doing a whole (laughs) shining throwback. Like, come on.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's really like a singular iconic movie that has been parodied and referred to and is extremely culturally relevant, right? Over the course of many decades, it's shown staying power. Um, And and like that's true regardless of whether you like it or not. I think it's just like there's just tons of cultural evidence to show that um, that movie has inspired many imaginations. Uh, Have you seen Room 237, by the way, the documentary about shining fan theories? Um, Uh,
2: I have not yet because it had been so long. It seemed to be silly to watch it when I hadn't. Like, no re-watch you, the film you you don't so need long. to
0: watch the movie oh. to to have <laughs> you like that's you the whole
2: reason I passed on it I was I that was on my list of like things to do post doctor sleep it was like all right I can go finally watch that documentary now that I'll <laughs> know what they're talking about
0: I think that doc- I really actually quite enjoy that documentary room 237 it's like basically and it's very bare bones documentary right it's just like a lot of footage and from the shining and also stock footage and the entire film is just narration from people who have Weird and wild fan theories about The Shining, right? That's the whole movie. It's like in- info wars, but for The Shining. Yeah, basically. that's right. Yeah, right. it's like <laughs> yeah. there's some people who are like, uh, you know, here's why uh, The Shining uh, sh- it proves that Stanley Kubrick faked the moon landing. You know, like and like <laughs> laying out the evidence for that, and and. Uh, and because in, in the way that Room 237 like lays out these uh, theories, it kind of becomes about like what fandom is about these days, right? Which is like the death of the author and uh, people just taking a work of art and running with it in wildly different directions. And who's to say all of those theories are false? I mean, they're probably false, but still like it's it, anyway, it's very fascinating. I don't think you need to have seen the movie recently to enjoy it. Um, but okay all that said you're not a huge fan of the shining the book was better fair enough uh, i think stephen king in an earlier uh era of his life actually agreed with that and he still says uh, yeah he doesn't like the movie
1: he has not he's never laid back on the shining yeah
0: that said i mean he has endorsed dr sleep which uh is in many ways a sequel to yeah. kubrick's film so, i think he
1: said specifically dr sleep fixes kubrick's yeah, the
0: shining yeah. like he said that specifically <laughs> so all that said <laughs> like, patrick Klebeck, okay all that said, Patrick Klepik, what did you think of Doctor mm. Sleep?
2: I adored this movie. Uh, I loved this movie. I think it's a middle. It's a uh, a TV series masquerading as a film in which yes. uh, it it um, that works against it. But I also have a sneaking suspicion that the fact that this film flopped at the box office. Um, was something that Mike Flanagan maybe knew going into this because it's a strange film. It's a it's a film that has a weird energy. Um, you can understand, and maybe this is something we can talk about in you know the spoiler section about like the very strange marketing for this film that like made it difficult to understand what it was. Why I wasn't actually anticipating it that much because I was not particularly sold on on what it was. But I this movie, especially having watched The Shining, I think. Uh, resolves a lot of the tension between that film and what the the, the mm-hmm. book, you know, admittedly having not read it, but like reading a lot of what has um, been described as the, the heart of that book that is left out or, or maybe like rubbed away from the adaptation that Kubrick did um, by centering uh, Danny, by centering his father, by centering the alcoholism. Uh, the reason I've always been impressed with Flanagan and his King adaptation specifically, and this is also true of Haunting of Hill House and a lot of his work is that him and King both understand that the characters come first, the plot comes second, and often that's the detriment of people who are interested in the plot, but the characters often land in a way that the plot doesn't always do. Um, and I think that's that's even true of Doctor Sleep to, to uh, a degree, especially in the concluding act and where it chooses to go to, but... Um, but I loved the characters. I I thought the performances, even if you don't like this story, I think the performances are remarkable, like top to bottom. It's a lot of people bringing their A game, um, both on a serious level and <laughs> in terms of Rose the Hat, sometimes on uh, more of a B movie that is like masquerading <laughs> through this uh, a film. But I adored it. It was, um, I don't know how often... Uh, the, you know the three of you ever feel this way but like you're like halfway through a movie and you realize you're already in love with it and then oh, you suddenly yeah. realize oh no wait i still have half a movie to go this is <laughs> usually you reflect on it later and go i I really liked that or it's upon like a conversation with with someone or whoever you saw the movie with and halfway through i like pulled my wife aside and i was like I fucking love this movie. (laughs) And I cannot wait to see the second half of where it goes. So, yeah, I think it's going to be divisive. I think it's going to be something that quickly becomes uh, a cult classic. And I think especially for folks that have complicated feelings about The Shining and, uh, you know, Kubrick versus King. um, I think it resolves it in a really satisfying way.
0: I think, like, the reaction I had as I was watching this movie was... Like, I had no idea what this movie was about going into it. I I didn't even know what that plot summary was. (laughs) Me
2: either, and I watched all the trailers. I still had no idea what this movie was about. The
0: trailers did an extremely poor job of selling this movie to anyone other than Shining Heads or Shining Files, I believe they're called. Um, It's also a terrible title. Uh yes, yeah. yeah. Which I mean, which
2: as revealed in the movie is only like a very tangential <laughs> one off yeah. line. Like it's audacious. That's that's where I get the conspiracy like by my InfoWars hat on, is just like Flanagan being like, ha, I really got away with one here. This yeah. movie has a one-off line that explains the title that has nothing to do with the plot of the movie, basically. Yeah. And also it's like, go see this summer, Captain Boring,
3: the newest <laughs> thrill ride from the thrill master, Stephen King, yeah. Captain Boring. You know, it's, it's like, it's, what? yeah, the
0: marketing overall pretty rough, pretty rough. And uh, I, I, they leaned to have, you know, uh, Scott Mendelson over at Forbes called it like the Blade Runner 2049 syndrome, which is like the uh, marketing for that movie uh, gave you nothing to be excited about other than that it was a sequel of Blade Runner. And similarly, like the marketing for this movie, I think, is heavily leaning on. The fact that it's a shining sequel, um, but uh, Patrick, my my reaction was similar to yours in the sense that as I was learning what the premise of this movie is, right, which does take like quite a while, like an hour, a good hour to get to, I'm like, I, I was just admiring how freaking bold it was, like, and, and yeah. like well, the, the first world...
3: ten minutes of this movie is bonkers. You're like, are we what what <laughs> Wh- what are we doing?
0: Yeah, um, the... right now we're
3: doing this right now. This. <laughs>
0: The uh, world building, I think, is truly excellent. I mean, I think it's just like uh, you you really get a good sense of like what the rules are and who the characters are and like why characters are doing like behaving in the way they're behaving. And uh, I, I was just impressed at the both the, the premise and also the fact that the movie just went went with it. It's like that is a huge premise to go with. Um, and the fact that it was able to pull it off even somewhat successfully. I think is a huge accomplishment. So uh, I had a, a somewhat similar reaction to you in the theater as I was watching. I was like, I can't believe they're doing this, and they're actually doing a pretty good job of it. Avenger or what did you think of Doctor Sleep? Speaking of theater experiences,
1: halfway through this movie, I just wanted to like get up and like high five everybody in the theater. Like, guys, <laughs> this is so good. I I really <laughs> love this. Like, can we can we get a yeah shout out for this movie? Um, <laughs> let me just put it this way. Like, I so I love The Shining, the film uh probably i may be too close to it i definitely saw that movie at a very early age uh one of those things where i definitely saw that movie when i was like 7 or 8 and it like fucked me up for life uh in a way but that's the power of that movie and i rewatch it often uh yeah the script isn't great the plot's not the best but the power of that movie is just how it kind of drills under your skin and unsettles you with like sheer creepiness and you could really tell that Kubrick was working on another level of like psychological manipulation in terms of like what he was presenting to the viewer uh so I love that movie uh I did not hear many great things about Dr. Sleep the book so wasn't super excited about a film adaptation but then my Clannigan joins up, oh, and that's he fixed, that's really he fixed it. Gerald's game, and that's a it's a terrible story. It's impossible! <laughs> it's impossible. Like this guy, um, I think starting with Oculus, I just really perked up as to what this guy was doing because he is just he his technical craft is so is fantastic for horror, but he always centers his stories and characters. So yeah, just like Stephen King, um, Doctor Sleep does a great job of giving us like a look at what. Dan Danny Torrance could be like as an adult and how messed up he can be and how the, you know, the violence of his past and the trauma of his past could be reflected uh, you know, as an adult. I found that all fascinating. Um this is not really it's definitely not a Kubrick movie, right? It is not trying to i think unsettle you in the same way it feels more like a straight-up genre movie but he is so good at the world building he is so good at like the ideas i had when i was a kid it's like wait you mean there are people in the world with these powers are there other people out there what are they like are there good ones are there bad ones um all those theories i've always had in my head uh watching this movie throughout the years it, they just kind of roll out here and i love that you know he treats these characters with a certain amount of dignity. Uh Rebecca Ferguson is fantastic. Uh as the villain like and she, she loves being good. in this movie. You can just she, tell she's like oh, oh, yeah man. I'm just going to go for it. Everyone cool with that? Yeah. I'm, she okay, she okay, gets to just wear go. this
3: hat the whole time. Cool hat,
1: cool hat, cool sundresses, cool like bohemian vibe. Eating uh flowers. I am both like yeah, I am both enthralled by her and terrified by her. So that that is like a really wonderful balance there. Um but the fact that you know this movie does center around a group of people who are basically murdering and feeding children but the, at, at a certain point i almost sort of like the movie kind of like gives us a bit of sympathy for that group where you're like they're just there's, they're just trying to survive
3: there's they, a, there's a definite read in this movie where they're the protagonists oh yeah, yeah
1: definitely yeah, yeah, definitely sure. They they are soul-sucking vampires um you kind of I love that he can even give the like child murdering villains like a note of sympathy. So when like uh, people start dying or things are happening, you kind of feel for it. You kind of feel for Rebecca Ferguson. Um, This movie has a ton of Nightmare on Elm uh, Street 3 uh, Dream Warriors in it, which is one of my favorite horror movies growing up as well. And I love the idea of um, basically kids coming into their powers and using it to fight back against the villain and also terrify the villain like this movie is just mm. wild it, it kind of does all these things and i was i wanted to cheer throughout much of it um it probably feels a little too long because yeah it does feel like uh he compressed maybe a six season miniseries into six you know, two and a half six yeah episodes. six six episode miniseries it, it's uh, long but it doesn't feel hours. padded if like yes.
2: if like to draw a distinction where it's like mm-hmm. multiple times it ends Where you're like, cool, I guess this is the end of the movie. And then it keeps going, where naturally, like the next episode on would pick up. And it's like, oh no, we're just, we're into the next episode because he he just decided to take the bigger budget and (laughs) make the movie version.
1: Now you think about halfway through, I was like, "Uh, I kind of have to go to the bathroom, but every five minutes, something is happening like this movie just can't stop moving even though it's so long and i was just enthralled by all of it um there's more we could talk about in spoilers but also shout out to cliff curtis as uh the best bro the best bro like in (laughs) in movies this year he is such a good bro i love him very much uh mike flanagan basically had a thankless task with this movie right because he had to he kind of had to appease the fans of the movie um, maybe appease fans, you know, Stephen King fans too, who who, who really like the book. He thread, he thread the needle between those two plots and kind of like gave us something that connected every, uh, both of those things. It's, it's fascinating. This movie feels impossible. It is not perfect. I think it's kind of messy, but I love messy, bold movies. And this is definitely one of those.
0: Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on Dr. Sleep?
3: Well, Dave, <laughs> I guess you could say my thoughts about Dr. Sleep are best summed up in the form of a limerick.
0: Could you now? Could
3: you uh, Although I have to say my limerick has maybe some oblique spoilers in it. All so right. uh, if you are adverse to that for this film, maybe f- for a different film as well, <laughs> you <laughs> uh, c- should maybe skip forward yeah. 30 seconds. If
0: you have All any, right. don't. Do, basically if you are afraid of spoilers of any movie ever made, Skip for that. <laughs> It's really, they're really not bad. But
3: yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, I want to be clear. I'm, I'm, I'm spoiler averse myself. So here we go. Skip now. A cool twist on a vampire's thirst and overlook is still really cursed. But going back would have had more impact if Spielberg hadn't done it first.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know what you're trying. Are you trying to say Ready Player One was better than this film? No, well no. It, it no. It I just some the wish
1: luster.
3: yeah. I just wish I hadn't seen that. we hadn't done that before we did it here. Yeah. I I had a a ton of fun with this movie as well. I really really enjoyed it. There is one sequence as a father of a young son who likes to hit baseballs with bats. Oh man. I oh, sure I had, there was one sequence that I was like, eh, too, too much, too much. we keep <laughs> This is a keep, bad
1: dad movie. Yeah. We keep bad cutting
3: back. Like, yeah. we get it already. You don't have to keep cutting back. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's really bad. Other than that, I had lots of fun with this movie. And I, when I was 12, 13, 14, all I did was read Stephen King. That I I only read Stephen King. I I dabbled in Koontz, you know, because it's like it's not enough Stephen King out here. I gotta I, what else can I do? I can Coons <laughs> yourself can, with Koontz, Yeah, I can try to <laughs> Koontz, you know, because Koontz, is, but it never it never yeah. satisfies. No, no
1: Christopher Pike for you, Jeff. Like he he no. was the man when I was growing up. Really?
3: No, I mean what <laughs> happened was I I I expanded. I um uh used up all of my Stephen King and moved on to Isaac Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke and and that's where I went. But that's because I never thought about Stephen King as a horror writer. I always thought of him as a science fiction writer. So much of his stuff is science fiction. And I think the shining and this movie in particular, you guys have have already sort of talked about it uh, a bit. These are X-Men movies. This is an X-Men movie. This is not, Yes, there are horrific elements, but there are horrific elements in sci-fi, too, of, of scary monsters and things. And yes, there, as I have mentioned, there is one sequence in this that is deeply unsettling and actually, I think, a little indulgent, and it goes over the line for me a bit, but not because it, you know, it, I don't know. It, I, this movie isn't trying to scare me. It is putting me on an adventure of fantasy. And that's why I have always loved Stephen King's stories is that he has a really cool inventive mind for sci-fi for fantasy. And it, they just happen to have some dark elements in them. And, um, this movie is, is as exactly as you guys have talked about already, a fun superhero movie. It is cool powers and cool rules. I think Stephen King is always very good about his rules in his movies and how they all interplay. Um, you know, his, his rules about time travel in what 11, 1168 or whatever it's called, uh, which is, is another book, Patrick, that has an atrocious ending. like
2: <laughs> but, Classic <laughs> King. And I like the ending to the dark tower, like the last couple of pages, but I won't defend the last couple, the last three books. Right?
3: Yes. No, but I mean the first act and half of the second act of uh, that book, 11, whatever it's called, eleven eleven sixty eight, um, I could be getting those numbers wrong, but anyway, the the are amazing. The setup, the the setup for those books is amazing, and it's because of the cool sci-fi setups. This movie is 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 really fun, as we've talked about. It really can be read uh, from both sides. I found you and McGregor. I mean, you and McGregor. If you want to age forward a classic young character from literature. Call Ewan McGregor or, or <laughs> even age backward, a, a, a classic older character. He'll go either direction for you. He's, uh, he's, he's amazing, versatile. You want to you wanna see a different version of a character you know and love, call that Ewan McGregor on the phone. Um, he, uh, he's great. Uh, as you guys have already mentioned, I love Rebecca Ferguson. I think she's amazing in everything I've ever seen her in. She's chewing scenery in this, and it's super fun. The visuals are inventive. The ride is cool. The ending is satisfying. I just wish I hadn't, you know, seen it uh, once before. But it is, it's is—it's fun, man. It pays off in really cool ways. its It feels like a filmmaker just giddy about the opportunity to play in this universe. And uh, I, I'm, I'm right there with you guys. I had lots of fun with this.
0: All right. Well, sounds like we all had a great time. Um, uh, we're running out of time right now. So I'm just going to cut straight to spoilers now. Let's get the spoilers for Dr. Sleep starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can you see it's coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out.
2: Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret
0: now. You want to be fooled. So, yeah, Jeff, I mean, when this movie freaking <laughs> tortures <laughs> to death and murders Jacob Tremblay, yeah. AKA Augie from Wonder, AKA Jack from Room. Yeah. That's when you know they're not fucking around, basically.
3: Well, it's it's not even the fact that they just torture and kill him. It's that we're supposed to know that the more pain and fear he's yeah. experiencing, Ugh. the better. Jeez. And it keeps cutting away like, okay, I'll let you off the hook. You don't have to see this kid suffer anymore. Nope, we're back. <laughs>
1: yep. No, and he's really than, selling it to you. Like his his screams, he is he is he's tremendous. Begging, yeah. he's
3: begging them to stop. There's blood splattered all over him. It's it, it's a little gratuitous, and it felt to me, it, it felt to me like uh, almost, I it almost over the line. Like I I mm-hmm. I had a hard time not thinking about my son just being picked up by somebody, and it just I get it, I get it. I know oh, what he's doing, but you you accomplished it a minute and a half in you didn't need to keep going yeah. those extra five that, minutes. That,
1: even that first scene was terrifying when like it doesn't show anything but that is literally my worst nightmare like just Which like first scene
0: yeah are you referring to you
1: well know. the scene with the young girl and the scene where it's like she encounters a nice stranger uh they fall into conversation then just like disappears basically oh, I see like that violence, movie, yeah. violence.
0: Yeah. yeah 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 um yeah they... jeff they got they got academy award nominee jacob tremblay to play that role to just scream just to scream and appear in pain and yeah. you know not shockingly he does it really uh convincingly so yeah yeah um yeah, i so a bunch of things i want to want to call out there's like so, so, many good things and some bad things right um the the good things are, I actually, like, the opening you guys talked about, like, with the little girl getting captured, that was really uh, affecting. And then there's this sequence where you see, you know, young Danny Torrance, but then you see old Danny Torrance and how he has just flushed his life down the toilet. And, like, every component of that scene yeah, of him waking baby. up. Like, Ugh, it just got God. progressively worse and worse, right? Like, Ugh. oh, you know, wakes up. Oh, like, you know, he's, you know, with this woman he has a one-night stand with. Oh, she like, she's vomited next to him. And, oh, he's taking money from her purse. And it's like, wow, yeah. this is a He real... got into a fight just for the shits and yeah, giggles, Yeah, this is a real yeah. piece of shit. And then the, the piece de resistance, <laughs> there's a freaking baby in the room. What's yeah, that yeah, baby which, doing there?
3: And and just we, hanging out. And the confirmation that that baby straight up died... Like, um, as a result of his negligence and her negligence, it's, uh, you know, that the it's very rough.
1: Was, was it a complete con- confirmation? I thought it was just, like, a thing coming back to haunt him or uh, something.
3: I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he has powers that let him see shit. <laughs> I, I'm assuming that was She's real. She's at
2: least dead, probably. Yeah. I guess yeah. there's maybe an open yeah. question on what happens to, yeah. to, the, to the kid. Yeah. But
3: before we even get there, Dave, I, I want to talk a little bit about, I mean, we— talked a lot in this episode already about digital actors and the fact that this movie decides to just- Oh yeah. man, I was
2: going to bring this up. Yeah. I, wa- I really yeah, wanted right. to talk about this choice.
3: Yeah, it's lookalikes. And and I think that's a, such an interesting decision to, to do. Yeah. I think it's and- the right choice.
1: It's nature's double casting. Like, come <laughs> on, it's an easy way to do it
3: yeah it it's so interesting and the way they're shot, like the way those actors are shot, and they're they are clearly doing impersonations. and it's kind of an old school approach to doing that. and i found th- I found it very effective
0: yeah uh, I, I think it it totally worked for me with one exception,
3: which is it's, it's like I'm sorry, just to say again oh. it, to reiterate my point it it's it's like the vinyl of this technique, <laughs> yeah, right It's like, yeah. oh yeah, vinyl does sound it has its own kind of like you know, like. <laughs> Casting lookalikes has its own kind of feel to it that right. kind of makes it feel good.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I, I would say the one part that didn't work, like, was pretty confusing was when, like, I actually don't think they're imitations, to be honest, Jeff. I think they, like, try to capture the spirit of these characters, but I, I don't think they're imitations. Like, I, They I, I definitely go for the look. Like they go, yeah, the they go for the look, but I don't think they, like, it, it doesn't strike me as, like, a Shelley Duvall imitation um uh, it absolutely it it, she got a Shelley like Duvall she, face yeah she got a Shelley Duvall accent too yeah all right all right fair enough but I, I think the part that really didn't work for me was at the end when Jack encounters or Danny encounters Jack and mm-hmm. he's like mm-hmm. uh, you know I know who you are and he's like you know um I'm sorry you must be mistaken sir and that's like a little confusing to open that with because in my opinion that actor doesn't really look that much like Jack Nicholson so um that yeah. was the only moment it's all that in the hair thinking, yeah that I was yeah. Kind of like. Uh, well, they, and like, they don't shoot him like uh, face forward right? that often if you like study
2: yeah. that little bit like it was interesting that my wife and i were talking through this like most of the time they seem to recognize like all right this is going to be a, a tough sell like of, yeah. it's one thing to do Shelley duvall mm. which a lot of people can probably sort of just like ah vague memories but like jack nicholson is like the po- you know david you mentioned the pop culture angle like that has been just been hammered home so much in terms of our expectation of like what that character is going to look like, sound like. And so they seem to recognize, like, hey, we've only got a couple of minutes we can, like, buy before the audience is going to bail out. And it seemed like they shot it mostly from the side, relying on the eyebrows to, like, sell and the expression to sell a lot of the performance. I think maybe they lingered a little bit too long in that moment where you started to feel out of it, but... um It it mostly worked at least as sort of like a for what the scene was trying to accomplish. It felt
3: like somebody went, you know, this guy looks a lot like Jack Nicholson (laughs) in profile. If we just stay in profile, he looks a lot like Jack Nicholson. And then at a certain point, Mike was like, We need to see him front on at some point. Let's just do it right at the end. But let's just stay in profile because he really looks like Jack Nicholson in profile.
1: (laughs) I I love the way they approach that scene, too, because it does feel like Danny knew he, he had to do this. Like he had to encounter this and go through this hump. And it's like it is that like, you know, not seeing your father for 30 years thing and sitting down, just like having a conversation with him, basically, except he's a demon imprisoned by a haunted hotel, you know. When that sort of thing happens. (laughs) Common.
0: The actor who plays uh, Jack Torrance in the film, by the way, is Henry Thomas, who uh, appears in The Haunting of Hill House as young Hugh Crane. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. But most people listening to this podcast probably know him as Elliot from E.T., the Steven Spielberg. Hell yeah. What? So that is Jack Torrance in this movie. That's great. Um, That's great.
1: Also, shout out to Carl Lumbly, who (laughs) is an actor I love. And it is so great to see him be, uh, be Dick Hellerin basically Can so I, that, that was cool uh,
3: patrick you have just watched the shining recently mm-hmm. were all of the characters in overlook in this movie lookalikes of all of the characters from that movie
2: yeah, yeah. That's, that, yeah. that seemed like that mm-hmm. It definitely like yeah they were pulling specifically from the aesthetic of yeah. kubrick's interpretation of that and that seemed you know i think this movie lands on King, Like if you were to line up like King and Kubrick on like, like which side does this movie choose? Like I think it ultimately sides with King while trying to reconcile Kubrick with that. But like in terms of like the, the overlook representation, it very much says like, hey, you know, what are you going to do? Fight with the way Kubrick installed this into popular culture? Like that doesn't make any sense. Right. And he, res- he resolves it through character as opposed to – um you know, trying to to mess with the the look of the hotel or anything. It's like it's that.
1: very much a why not both approach too. Yeah. Like the 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 boiler room thing. That's that's the way the book ended. Like yeah, the yeah. boiler room exploding, and that's what happens to uh, to Jack. So yeah, yeah. but it's uh, interesting to me how much
3: this movie, as we've already said, sympathizes with the, our our child eating demons, and uh, it's almost odd. I mean, I was all along for the ride, and I was in it, but there really isn't any need for, it doesn't seem to me like it establishes any reason for them to need to go to the overlook. Right. right They've right. just kicked the ass of, of Rose, the hat all over town. Every time <laughs> she's ever encountered them, yeah. she's all by herself. Now they don't know that she just sniffed 14 different canisters <laughs> full of babies. Right. They, they I mean, the movie's trying to tell us, yes, she's more powerful now because she did that. But they don't know that. All they know is they kicked her ass and her friend's asses. And so it's kind of odd to me that that movie even goes, yeah, well, we need to – we're going to run. She's always going to find us. We better go to the Overlook. It feels like, no, man, we're way more powerful than she is. There's two of us. There's one of her. So why do we even need to or do
2: just this? one line that like it wouldn't actually wouldn't even need it that much. Like when they're in the car and they have the conversation where it's revealed that they're going to head there. You only just give me one more line of bullshit. It's fine. Like I'm already <laughs> here for the ride. Um, like Even as an aside yeah. there, like um, if you follow, I know, Jeff, you don't watch any of the, of the trailers, but the arc of the marketing of this film is fascinating because they are almost like, no overt references to the overlook or the shining as a film in the early marketing of this film. And that all got really pushed up towards Mm -hmm. the end. I didn't watch any of the last trailers. It was just hard to avoid the movie doing my job online. And so like, there'd be like pre-rolls on (laughs) YouTube videos that I'm trying to watch. And it knows I watch horror and it kept showing like these shots of the overlook and like, you know, the scene where uh Ian McGregor is like holding the axe. And I was like, I didn't need, I'm not even Aww. sensitive to this stuff. And like I didn't need to know that. Um, but my my wife and I both looked at each other and was like, even though you probably assumed they were gonna go back to the overlook, like how fucking cool would it have been to been in the that scene in the car. When he says, "Oh no, we're going to Colorado," and your eyes widen, and like, "Oh, there—that's this movie. This movie's me. already done it a million times. <laughs> it it happens, it's just Jeff. going yeah. again." Yeah, yeah. I will say,
1: yeah. So I didn't I, even I, know
3: I... this movie was a sequel to The Shining when I first started watching. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I honestly wow. didn't. that's amazing. I sat down, and and we're the f- the first few minutes of this movie when we're like, <laughs> we're like, wait, there's a a person, person who's we, impersonating you know Jeff.
1: Yeah. It was amazing. That's, that's <laughs> right I, 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 I respect, for you. I respect your unsullied lifestyle. Oh my to god! To a certain point, uh, it, it
0: is ridiculous. This is insane. <laughs> but okay, okay. I was so unfamiliar I, I, I with you that how avoid
2: book. reading about
0: it? At some <laughs> like, so I was. Hold on. So, go ahead, Jeff. Finish what you're saying.
3: I was just saying I happen to be unfamiliar with that Stephen King <laughs> book. It's been a long time since I read King, uh, even though I did read 11, 11 whatever it is. is. But um, I didn't realize, and then there's no nothing on the.
1: Yeah, in the title that no, says "You're right." Shining sure, you're right. Shining yeah.
3: Two, Doctor Sleep Incredible. edition.
1: You're Amazing. why this movie flopped. This is Even one of your you greatest. the sequel to The Shining. Uh,
3: dude, dude, this is your Sistine you, Chapel, Jeff. I agree with you, Dave. <laughs> that moment was really cool. Yeah, yeah, and that's the kind of shit that I love, dude. Is that I'm sitting in the movie making that realization in real time. It's in the first ten minutes. I'm like, Are you? Are you kidding me?
1: <laughs> <laughs> but but Jeff, do you think that's the way a a normal person a normal <laughs> A normal human being is going to go into like that. Th- there's not here. here. Yeah, this cares? Yeah, cares just it's normal a is so, just a normal So, I would, I would say I, by the way, just quickly the, the the marketing. I just have to say, like, why why the hell is this movie coming out now? It does feel like if you're gonna do a shining sequel movie get it out a week, two weeks before Halloween, something, something, get the vibe in there. I, oh man, you want that sweet, or...
3: you want that sweet November 7th. Uh... Yeah, we're ready
1: for <laughs> Thanksgiving. I want to be hungry
0: and sleepy. Oh, Dr. Sleep. Great. <laughs> so Jeff, you said a bunch of things I want to respond to. First of all, the idea <laughs> of using actors instead of digitally DH people, I think it's a great choice because we've seen so many movies, obviously that don't do that. And one effect you have is, like, there is no dist- there is no intermediary or intermediating force between you and the performance on screen, right? right. Because, I mean, you are thinking, okay, well, I guess well, once you get past, like, oh, that's supposed to be Jack Nicholson's character, it's just an actor playing a part. Whereas if you're seeing young Jack Nicholson, your brain... Is my brain at least would be spinning in like different directions, being like, "Well, did they get like footage? Did they de-age him?" Like, I would just be wondering how did they I do that. Right?
3: It's it's a little bit like watching the Saturday Night Live sketch of like, "Hey, how good a how good an impersonation
0: are they doing?" That's what I was doing. I oh, mean, so there enough. is
3: still there is still a, a middle step happening in my brain. It's just a different middle step.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, it's different. It's a different flavor of whatever it is. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, I'll say this: like, I love, as I said in the r- review, like, I love the world building, all the ways that they visually brought the world to life. I thought was great, like the steam, the fact that it was called oh, steam, yeah. you know, like they so wouldn't cool. call it The Shining or whatever the hell. That the these,
3: language of the movie, the language the, is great, yeah. and,
0: and like they have like
3: categories, you know, yeah. A, yeah. Pusher. She's a pusher, a pusher, right? Yeah.
0: There's the uh, the scene when like uh, Rebecca Ferguson's character is like floating through the sky and like, it's like she's parallel to the ground and you know, she lands there Dude, and it's, it's just all looks amazing in my opinion. When she
3: slams back into her own body yes. and falls off the top of that RV. It was such a cool so effect. So good. So good. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then, and oh, and then the scene when like, uh, what's her name? Abra is like, Trying to compute what has happened, and then there's a like mm-hmm. overhead drone shot where you see like them all piling into that area, and yeah. you know burying the kid, and then leaving the area. You know, it's just like all the visual, like the way they visually communicated the world is just so inventive and great. But I have to say, uh, I think I might disagree with everyone on here in that I thought that the parts where it referred directly to The Shining, including the, the final thirty minutes. Were extremely distracting and actually bad. Like I actually, they're invoking one of the most iconic films of all time. It's like, hey, hey, like look at how this thing is like that other thing that you like, you know? And that other thing is basically impossible to compare with any other work. Uh, I think it is a singular piece of filmmaking, and so it just is like putting itself up against this other movie. In a way that I think is unflattering to it to itself, and and so that's like the biggest weakness of the movie for me is every time it referred back to the earlier film, like Red Rum. Why would that like why would that show up in yeah, exactly that, that way? That was, you know, that was bad. It's just that was, like there's stuff bad. like that that's just like, it, or, or uh, Bruce Greenwood's office looks exactly like the office that Jack Torrance gets interviewed. In. It's just like mm-hmm. what? Like why? It's not even the same place. Like it makes no sense. Anyway, I, I just found those references to be really distracting and did not benefit the film at all. The stuff that the film does really well is like creating this whole new world, all these characters, like making the rules, the language of the movie, all this, it does so much well That the that I'm actually like hate it when it refers back to the original Shining because it's like now you're forcing me to compare you to this other movie that I also think is pretty great and that probably can't be compared with you. So I think the movie wants (laughs) to be compared. So
2: I'll say like I I agree with you. I think it's at its weakest in the third act and like specifically the 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 scene that bothered me the most was the most gratuitous was um, or most egregious maybe was when uh, Rose the Hat is walking into the Overlook. Looks over and they repeat the oh, the, 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 the scene with the elevator and yeah. the blood.
3: For no reason. And she just looks so, over.
2: It just felt she like oh, well, yeah. we staged it. So better get it in here. And I think that on some level tips the movie's hand. At but a little it could have been it could have been
3: stock footage that she was looking at. You <laughs> sure, know? Like... I have
2: no idea. I have no yeah. Like they, maybe they fixed up the grain. I, it's a you know. I have no idea. But um, I, I think you can't separate the movie's objective from the reason it, it chooses to like engage with that at the end. Like, I, I agree with you. I think it's weaker for it, but the movie, like Flanagan's whole premise, like the reason he's even telling this story is that you have to arrive at this conclusion. And it well, means going back to the overlook. It means engaging with that. I don't, not saying it does it successfully. And I think it's overindulgent and it could have been like half as long and not used as many of like borrow the same shots. But I do think the movie at its core is like, I need I, I want to reconcile these works and then that's how it arrives at. Well, it.
0: I di- I yeah. disagree that that's necessary to actually go back to the overlook. I mean, I did like you could show the overlook in flashback as he did earlier on in the film. I mean, the movie really is about this character overcoming trauma and like inherited trauma from his father inherited addiction from his father and you can accomplish all that without literally going back to the place where like you were traumatized, right? Sure. So, I I di- I agree with you that he had an objective of like like coming to terms of the first film i disagree that that necessarily means that you actually have to go back to the physical location
1: i, I think what um, they could have justified it better because it's not just it's not just trauma it's the demons of your past like literally like the, this movie sets up his whole process of like locking away those ghosts and putting yeah, them somewhere no, Fair enough. um like yeah you, you gotta you gotta burn it down Burn down the past. But if um, they were
0: in his mind, then, like, yes, couldn't his mind he let them locker. Up, couldn't he have Love let it. them out at any, you know, w- in New Hampshire? You know, like, anyway, whatever.
1: <laughs> then like, you can't control it, right? It's yeah. like Ghostbusters, right? You can't just let loose that that chamber of, of all the stuff, because you got to go catch all the ghosts one by one. It's not really going to work out for
0: you. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway. So, uh, I, uh, so that weakness aside, I really love the movie and there's many great uh, moments and performances in it. Zon McLaren is great in this movie. Love mm-hmm. seeing him in a movie. Um, Rose the Hats kind of main squeeze. Uh, and and uh, also the visuals of the uh, top, The what are they, the true knot? What are their names? Um, yeah, the true not the, the true group, not yeah. them like dying like phasing in and oh out of my existence. God. I thought was so like rad. pretty terrifying, very cool. I think the one bummer I had though was uh, Emily uh, Allen Lind, who plays the character of Snakebite Andy. What an amazing like look that that actor has, and mm-hmm. like I thought this was going to be like kind of her story, you know? Because, but I think the movie is extremely ambitious. You guys have talked about how it's episodic, right? It feels episodic, yeah. or it feels like a series and it feels like in a, in a in a TV series that character would have gotten a whole arc but oh, instead yeah. she's a kind of episode. like a way of of providing exposition really yeah
1: and it's it, also like showing the two different sides of like oh look at this very powerful girl she she turns to the dark side and the real movie is about this other girl who is more powerful than anybody could could imagine yeah. and how she sort of has a dark side too or it's like that character is really interesting because she's very much accustomed to the brutality of the world and like she almost enjoys punishing
0: the vampires yeah. in a way like, I was there like there is, she's, she's got a dark side there's Abra. a lot You're, going we're talking on about Abra, yeah right? like yeah. that character has a dark side like if that character grows up and like decides she doesn't want to be 100 percent good that could be really bad for society yeah. <laughs> that, that so. would she would make a great like detective
1: series or something with just that character and her power so yeah. great
0: yeah yeah all right. Anyway, I think we were running a little bit long. Uh, anyone have any single closing thoughts on it? Otherwise, we can wrap it up there. But I think we all really like the movie, and you should check it out. It's not doing very well in the box office, but go and support great filmmaking. Go see Doctor Sleep in theaters. You should check. It I, out. I do want to
2: shout out just because I written as my notes the um, the last minute of this movie. I found to be like really powerful and mm-hmm. uh, affecting. Uh, you know, not to end the podcast in a downer, but you know. I, lost my father to a heart attack a number of years ago and like the singular question that this movie like ends with is like like the question that you know lots of people have when they experience trauma of that and i it spoke to the heart of the movie like you know similar to the speech that Danny has when he has the 8 year coin i think it is like resolving like the legacy that like is left behind as children of parents and like how you resolve that and what do you do after and i just that little last minute was like Just put like such a nice capper on what I thought was a movie that was deliberately trying to be beautiful and like the message it leaves at the end, you know, however you feel about it was one that kicked me in the gut.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful Mm -hmm. message and it's a hopeful message. Right. The idea that like people go on right after they pass from this earth.
1: Also, the hopefulness of just locking yourself in a bathroom with the bathtub lady. (laughs) It is so good.
3: That poor bathtub lady is trying so hard to be scary, and no one is scared of her. You know? Not another box! I didn't right. put any clothes on. And then everybody's just like, <laughs> yeah, yawn.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, that's our review of Dr. Sleep. Uh, thanks for listening. If you find more episodes of this podcast at slashfomcast.com, email us at homecast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from com. Our spoiler bumper comes from Kyle Hillinger. Uh, un- stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next time. Until then, Patrick Klepek, where can people find more of your work on the internet? You can find me at Patrick Clubbick. You can uh, find uh,
2: my writing at waypointadvice.com, and you can find a horror podcast that my wife and I never update uh, at Till Death Do Us Part.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, that sounds like something worth subscribing to. It's also a great podcast name. Yeah, That's that such a
2: perfect title.
0: It it's so really oh, good. It's so good. Yeah. I mean, we we
2: uh, we basically fell in love watching uh, Puppet Master and other terrible horror films. I never got to, you know. G- Google Google search for how I proposed to my wife at the uh, premiere for Evil Bong Three Wrath of Bong. I don't have time to tell that story here. Wow. But uh, yeah, Charles a true Band a true is, is how is how I proposed to my wife.
0: Well, it sounds like you don't update it that much, but hopefully, being on the Slash Filmcast will be the shot in the arm your relationship needs <laughs> to get on that podcasting train once more. Um, Jeff Canato, how about you?
3: Well, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Uh, I have a video game podcast that Patrick has also been a guest on before. It's called DLC. Actually, all three of you guys have been guests on. Uh, It's called DLC. You can find it at 5by5.tv slash DLC. And I do uh, my own version of epic serialized storytelling. I'm the dungeon master of a live play Dungeons and Dragons show called The Dungeon Run. Very proud of it. We're having lots of fun. Uh, last week, we had our Halloween episode where we were in uh, in costume, and it's just I just want you guys to check it out. Please check it out. You can find it on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run, or as an audio podcast. It's actually really cool to listen just to the audio. You can find that anywhere you get podcasts by searching for The Dungeon Run, or you can watch us record it live Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run.
1: How about you, Devendra? Oh, I want to throw another shout out to Patrick's Waypoint podcast. I think you guys just solved capitalism in the last episode. That was pretty cool. I think so. Yes. That's pretty great. Kind of love it. You can find (laughs) me at at Devendra on Twitter. I write about tech at Engadget.com. We also just rebooted the Engadget podcast there. Uh, We dove into the streaming media madness that's happening all around us.
0: And uh, we'll be talking about our gift guide picks this week. So go check that out. And find uh, my other podcast where I interview really cool people at culturallyrelevantshow.com. It's called Culturally Relevant. You can find it wherever your podcasts are downloaded. Next week, we are going to be reviewing Ford versus Ferrari. A movie about cars, I, I believe, is what it's about. Um, that's basically all I know right now. So Ford versus Ferrari, next week on the Slash Filmcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later.
3: Most cars in a movie since yeah. cars.
1: For Ford, Ferrari, Fast, Furious. Yeah, there you go. We <laughs>